we're in part two of the series. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series, and the reason that I'm so glad that you're watching, is because while most people, uh, most Christians, most non-Christians, even people from other religions, while most people know some parts of the story or some Bible stories, most people do not know the story of the Bible. Uh, maybe one of the reasons is, is really it can be so easy for some of you to dismiss the Bible or dismiss Christianity or to walk away from your childhood faith is because you never learned the story of the Bible. And part of the reason that you didn't learn the story of the Bible as a child is because you wouldn't have been interested then, right? Another big reason that you didn't learn the story of the Bible is because the people that handed you your first Bible, they likely didn't know the story of the Bible themselves. And then on top of that, people may have misunderstandings about the Bible. And last week we talked about five misunderstandings people have about the Bible. And some of the more important ones that are particularly relevant to this series. Uh, many people base their faith on the Bible. Now that doesn't sound problematic for many Jesus followers until someone comes along and sort of points to some of the gaps in the Bible, or at least some problematic passages in the Bible. However, our faith is much stronger than that. The foundation of our faith is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is Jesus and his resurrection. Uh, another misunderstanding about the Bible is that many people were taught the Bible was something it isn't. Or maybe more accurately, many people were taught the Bible was just one thing. However, the Bible is not just a rule book. It's not just an answer book. It's not just a science book. And while we may want or may have been taught those things, generally speaking, this misunderstanding pointing, this misunderstanding points to something bigger, that we bring various expectations and filters to the Bible. Uh, more on that shortly. Uh, the last misunderstanding that maybe most is most relevant to our discussion over the next few weeks, many people's understanding of the Bible didn't grow with them. Uh, understanding and looking at the Bible as a book that is sort of nicely organized, chaptered and versed, uh, with footnotes, maps, subtitles, and more, can actually get in the way of understanding the Bible. Because the way that we got our Bibles is not the way the world got the Bible. Uh, so let's sort of add in a new misunderstanding about the Bible. Many people think Jesus wrote the Bible. And while he didn't write it, Jesus is the reason that we have the Bible. Because if Jesus was just sort of crucified and didn't rise from the dead, the Bible would not exist. There would be nothing to write about. That the reason that the men and the women decided to document the life of Jesus was not just what he taught. It was not just that he was crucified. Jesus made too many claims about himself that if he could just be sort of killed, then he obviously was not who he claimed to be because he claimed to be something huge, the resurrection and the life, the Son of God, and more. If he could just be killed, then he was also not, though, not who his followers hoped he was. But when the tomb was discovered empty and the hundreds of people that followed Jesus throughout his ministry, when they saw him alive from the dead, these women and men went into the streets of Jerusalem, not proclaiming what they had read about or heard about, but they proclaimed what they had seen with their own eyes, a resurrected savior. And interestingly, these were some of the same people who ran for their lives when Jesus was arrested just a few days or a few weeks prior. So the events around Jesus' life were extremely important to the first century followers. So important that many people attempted to document the life of Jesus because the accounts around Jesus' life documented events that happened. Because if these events didn't actually happen, then Jesus is a nobody. If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, then here's something that we can have in common. If he's not the Son of God, then he's a nobody. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, he's a nobody. He's just another first century wannabe rabbi and messiah who claimed things about himself that weren't true. He'd be a nobody. And yet, we have four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And the reason that we have those accounts is not just because of what he taught or that he was crucified. Many people were crucified. The reason that many people sat down to document the life of Jesus is because he rose from the dead. So Matthew, Mark, uh, Mark with Peter, Luke, and John sat down to document the life of Jesus. But it's important to note that there is still no Bible at the time. Uh, but at the same time, those early church people, they greatly valued these documents because they were reliable accounts from eyewitnesses. In fact, the early church valued these documents so much that many people would eventually risk their lives to protect these documents of the events that happened around Jesus' life. So what we're going to talk about today, though, is actually one of the parts of the Bible that many people today have the most trouble with. And yet, as we will see, this part of the Bible, or maybe better yet, this part of the story of the Bible, points to something everyone wants for themselves. The part of the Bible that we're going to talk about today is the creation account. However, we aren't going to start there. We're going to start with the Jesus followers after his resurrection. Now, some of Jesus' followers, including Paul, they left Judea and began telling non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, about the claims of Jesus. And one of the biggest struggles for these Gentiles who were enamored with the life and the message of Jesus and really wanted to embrace Jesus as their Savior, one of their biggest struggles was their filters, how they sort of saw everything and everyone in their world. Uh, the same can be true for us modern people today that there are so many filters that impact how we see everything and everyone in our world, including how we understand the Bible, especially the part that we're going to talk about today, the creation account. And like these first century uh, Gentiles, our filters can impact the way that we see the world as well. Uh, the first filter that impacts us is our personality type. Uh, whether you find the Enneagram helpful or the Finder or Myers-Briggs or something else, our personality type is one filter through which we see the world. Whether we are the life of the party or we want to read a book in the corner like a normal person, or whether you're more naturally optimistic or maybe a bit more cynical, whatever your personality type, it is one filter of how we see the world. Uh, there's also our personal worldview, which is a filter, but it's also impacted by all these filters as well. Our personal experiences impact how we see the world. Uh, some of us have traveled a lot. Some of us haven't had those opportunities. Some of us have experienced tragedy at an early age. Some of us had great parents, and some of us had not so great parents. You bring all those kinds of experiences and understanding, and your misunderstanding, to the Bible. Uh, maybe your place of birth is another filter. If you were born in NorCal, you see the world differently than someone born in Southern California, and even more differently than someone born in Southeast Asia. Uh, also, generation is another filter. The, the time period you were born into impacts how you see the world. Uh, cognitive biases, there are dozens of these, and many times we don't even realize we have them. Uh, parental training, which sort of answers the questions, e either the question of how you chose to live into what your parents told you, or the question of how you rejected your parents' advice and did the opposite. All of that impacts how you see the world. And for all of us, we have filters that impact how we see the world, including how we respond to the Bible. And the same was true for the non-Jewish Jesus followers called the Gentiles. On top of their filters being a struggle to follow Jesus, another big struggle for these Gentile Jesus followers was basically giving up everything they had been brought up with to believe. Now, while their filters impacted how they saw the world, following Jesus would challenge and conflict with almost everything they had been brought up to believe in, including the idea that there was only one God. 
Now, this doesn't seem like a big deal for many of us because we grew up with the idea that there was only one God. So for us, a similar comparison for many of us would be growing up believing in one God and then suddenly shifting to believing in many gods. That is how drastic it would would be for many of us. Or maybe like those of you who don't believe in God to suddenly start believing in God. So it was a bit of a big deal for the ancient non-Jewish world to embrace the notion that there was only one God because many of them or all of them believed in many gods. Uh, On top of that, Christianity ran so countercultural to the rest of the pagan non-Jewish world that Christians would sometimes be called atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. And yet those same Jesus followers seemed to sort of add a new God who claimed to be the only God. So this was a big obstacle for non-Jewish Gentiles to embrace Christianity. And yet more and more Gentiles came to faith in Jesus. And so when Gentiles became enamored with one particular Jew, they became enamored with the sacred texts of the Jews. Now, before Jesus came along, this was not the case, though. There were a very tiny percentage of Gentiles who followed Judaism as closely as they could. But for the most part, Gentiles were not interested in the Jewish sacred texts for a lot of good reasons. Jews ate different kinds of food. Jews couldn't work on the Sabbath. Jews would not allow their, not allow you, rather, to marry their kids. And Jews sort of kept, them, kept to themselves. In fact, we know that Peter, a Jewish man, and one of Jesus' closest followers, had not entered the home of a Gentile until about 15 years after the resurrection, and likely had not invited a Gentile in his home either. And so Gentile people had virtually no interest in Jews or in the Jewish religion until they were introduced to the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And when, then, when the Gentiles discovered the law and the prophets were sort of the backstory to this new story about Jesus, they became interested in the Jewish texts. However, the Gentiles weren't interested in Judaism. They were interested in finding Jesus in the text of the Jewish people. And so these Gentiles were sort of jumping into a one-God belief system while they were in an environment and came from an environment with filters that very much worked from a many-gods belief system. And I think for many people, their struggle with the Bible's creation account and for Genesis and with Genesis is based on at least one big misunderstanding, which we're going to get to a bit later. We're going to start reading, though, in Genesis chapter 1. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to Bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the More menu option in the bottom right corner. Select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. And when the Gentiles who came from a many gods background, when they unrolled the first scroll and were surprised to find Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. Uh, Many of us have heard and read this so many times. Uh, Maybe you've also argued against this so many times. And maybe you've disputed whether or not this is true or who wrote it. However, I don't want you to miss the original context or the implications of the original context that most of the ancient Gentile world would have expected to find what they found in all other cults and creation stories, that in the beginning, the gods. But God? That's very different. However, maybe while you were in high school or college, there were some archaeological discoveries that many interpreted as evidence that the creation texts from the Egyptians, Sumerians, Canaanites, and Babylonians were very similar to the Jewish text. And so the assumption was, that the ancient Hebrew or Jewish texts borrowed from other ancient creation stories. However, scholars today and academics today have now mostly abandoned that position because after further evaluation, Genesis really stands in stark contrast 
to the other creation, ancient creation stories. The Genesis is a worldview that was actually way ahead of its time, and in some ways the scientific and philosophical communities have been trying to catch up to until this past century or so. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. And that verse points to the high likelihood that there was likely some sort of beginning to the universe. But that thought was not commonly held by philosophers or scientists until fairly recently. Uh, Aristotle and Albert Einstein being two of the more famous people who worked from the assumption that the world or the universe was simply there with no beginning or end. Now, the generally held theory now is that the universe had a beginning and is, was expanding at an extraordinary rate from that point. But the real point that Moses was trying to make was way beyond just cosmological. However, the significance of his point sort of gets lost on us. And the reason that the significance of his point gets lost on us is because the point that Moses was trying to make is actually assumed by most people in our world today. Another way to say it is Moses was building a case that's no longer needed because his argument was ultimately succeeded. It ultimately succeeded. And remember that Moses was trying to write to an ancient group of people, the Jews, who all they know is slavery. All they know is the power of the many Egyptian gods. And so Moses is trying to help them to see the world through a different filter and become atheists as it relates to the Egyptian gods and become believers in the one God, Yahweh. And so in Genesis, Moses is not trying to explain how God created the heavens and the earth. Moses is making the point that God created the heavens and the earth. That the gods didn't create the heavens and the earth, just God. And so he says, in the beginning, God created. Not Egypt's Amun-Ra or, or Babylon's Marduk. There was, an there was not an epic battle between the gods to create this universe or the world. That in Genesis, we find something extraordinarily different. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That Genesis is not like the Egyptian creation myths. It's not like the Canaanite creation myths. It's not like the Babylonian creation myths. Now, all those myths where, where the gods are sort of at odds with themselves, where the gods are at war with each other, uh, which brings us to the next epic, really ahead of its time statement from the creation account in Genesis. And you know, maybe the Babylonian creation myth, you maybe heard of that, maybe read about it while you were in college or high school. Uh, the Babylonian myth is called the Enuma Elish. And in the Enuma Elish, mankind is eventually created to serve the lazy gods. And so after becoming the chief of the gods, the king of all the gods, Marduk, says the following, which is actually a text from the Enuma Elish, which is what, here's what Mar Marduk says. I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. That basically in all the ancient creation myths, humans are an afterthought to lighten the load of the gods. And Genesis is completely different. And through these creation myths, including these ancient gods, we conclude that an individuals, individual humans rather, have absolutely no rights. Women have absolutely no status or hope, and there's no intrinsic value in anyone. That the violence and the injustice of the gods justified the violence and injustice of the people. That the kings of these nations and these pagan cults, the kings were just acting like their fathers in the heavens. And in stark contrast, you come to Genesis with a concept that the human race is continuing to struggle with even today, that the religion that was older than all the religions in the first century, that religion says through Genesis what no other pagan myth said. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. And in the Jewish text, the creation of the humans is the pinnacle of creation, not an afterthought, which means that the dignity of every woman, every child, every man is established at the very beginning. And this was unheard of in ancient times. There is no parallel anywhere. 
that the pagan mythologies and the pantheon of gods that would develop through the ages after this, none of them established any similar idea. However, what comes next is even more unthinkable and even more unimaginable. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the smallest animals that scurry along the ground. That God told the Jewish people, You will make no idols. You will make no idol of me, Yahweh. You will make no idol or images out of the animals or other people or anything in nature that crawls in the ground or flies in the air or swims in this, the water. You will have no other gods before me because there aren't any other gods. That the people will be the stewards of this world, which again is another idea that we're wrestling with today. That all pagan cultures worship nature, the elements of nature, or the animals of nature. And yet, from the very beginning, God established a different, unique worldview. Verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but many people in churches are women because Jesus was the first to elevate the status of women. But ladies, let me be very clear. In the beginning, the God of the Jews, who became the God of the Christians, gave you dignity that the world is still trying to catch up with today. And one of our problems with this sort of whole creation account is that we get distracted, right? Uh, because when we read Genesis, we think Moses is trying to explain how God created the world. When in reality, how in the world could anyone from the ancient world understand how God created the world when we still aren't sure how God created the world with our modern scientific understanding. Moses' point was not how God created the world. Moses' point was that God created the world. And we get distracted and focused on the timing and the sequence of the creation account, and we miss the magnificence of these ancient statements and the worldview they create. That Moses introduced a radically different, unparalleled, untested worldview. And this would be the foundation of what would later be called the golden rule. Now, to be very clear, the golden rule is not reflected in nature. And if we're honest, the golden rule isn't reflected in human nature either. And yet the idea was introduced at the very beginning when God said, you are not a means to an end. You are not to worship nature and I'm going to make you in my image, which means every woman, every man, and every child that you are ever face to face with bears the image of their creator. So be careful how you treat them. Uh, according to the Numa Elish, though, you were born a slave to the gods. Uh, you, you have no individual dignity and no individual rights. There's no redeemer and there's no afterlife. And according to many today, you were born a slave to your DNA. You have no free will, there's no redeemer, and there's no afterlife. But in the beginning, we are introduced to a God who gives dignity and value to all people. And this is the God who saves, redeems, delivers, and will never ever give up on you. And all this happens in the beginning. A God who gives us freedom to choose and then honors our choices. And then we see immediately, but we also see eventually in a big way, that God does the most ungodly thing. This God goes to work to redeem the human decisions and consequences of choosing against him. And so Genesis 1 gives us sort of a meta-narrative, a framework, a filter for our lives. And this filter, narrative, or framework, it sort of points us to the answers to life's most important questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? And on a more personal side, why am I here and do I matter? And the God of Genesis says, from the beginning, you're here on purpose, with a purpose. You are not the result of some cosmic conflict between the gods. 
God wanted image bearers who could know and relate to one another and who could know and relate to him. And then on top of that, when the time was right, the God of Genesis, he joined us. And in this opening line of the Hebrew scriptures, the Gentile Christians realized that the story of this God who gave dignity and value to all people was the beginning of their story, which fueled their interest in the rest of what we know as the Old Testament. And this would set the stage for the inclusion of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, into the Christian Bible, though that would not be without its struggles. And for many, that is still a struggle today as well. However, the most important point from the creation account is that in the beginning, we are introduced to a God who gives dignity and value to all people. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the creation account that helps show us a God, helps show us you who gives us dignity and value and gives all people dignity and value. And as complicated as the creation account can be and as confusing and as misunderstood as it can be, God, would you help us to see how it points us to you and how it's one of the most important parts of understanding who you are. God, would you help us to not get lost in the details and maybe the sequence of events, what we try to pull out of it from a scientific perspective of how, how you created the world. But God, would you help us to see it's that, that you created the world, that Moses' point was maybe different than we might try to interpret it to be. So God, would you help us to, to sort of navigate uh, our misunderstanding with our understanding with something that we might think we understand but we really don't. God, would you help us to know what really we can pull from this? Would you help us to look towards you? Would you help all of our reading of scripture look towards you? God, would you help fix any misunderstandings we have? We need your help to do that. We can't do it on our own. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.